Welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am an associate professor of pharmacy practice at the supporting sponsor of Oncofarm, the Bill Gatt College of Pharmacy. I'm recording this uh, on, uh, on a Thursday, uh, the 21st, so this will come out later today, uh, here in January 2021. I got a couple FDA approvals from last week to talk about. These are not uh, new drugs, but they are expanded indications, uh, which sometimes there's not a lot to really get into with those, but uh, in this case there is. So the first one I'm going to talk about, and both these were January 15th of this month, uh, was the approval by the FDA of Trastuzumab Durextacan, which is brand name in HER2. for uh, HER2 positive gastric or gastroesophageal junction adenocarcinoma after at least one prior trastuzumab containing regimen. Just one prior regimen is important to note there. Uh, trastuzumab directocan was previously approved for HER2 positive breast cancer uh, in the third line setting, so after failing two prior HER2 targeting regimens, and that's an accelerated approval based off overall response rate. Uh, and this approval is based off of uh, Destiny Gastric 01, which was published in uh, the New England Journal of Medicine in June of 2020. So if you read the FDA uh, press release about this approval, it sounds great. I'm going to paraphrase. Overall survival, they don't say median, which is appropriate. They just say OS. Overall survival was 12.5 months versus 8.4 months. So if you see you know, 12 months versus 4 months, uh, overall survival improvement, you might expect, it's a one-third improvement, right, in median OS, you might expect the hazard ratio to be like 0. 0.66, 0. 0.67. The hazard ratio is 0. 0.59 uh, with a confidence interval 0. 0.39 to 0. 0.88. So the hazard ratio looks better than you might expect, and usually that happens or can happen. That can be maybe a sign if you look at the Kaplan-Meier curve that it widens over time, and that is true. The Kaplan-Meier curves here look like a funnel opening up. Uh, it tends to be a good sign when we see that, right? Uh, that's great. Um, so, but we, you know, we got to look a little bit deeper here. So let's first look uh, just briefly at the history here, uh, because uh, starting with the TOGA trial, uh, which was a um, uh, landmark study um, published, uh, when was that? Published back in the day, I uh, don't remember when, I think it was 2010 actually, but this was cisplatin 5-FU and trastuzumab versus cisplatin 5-FU and established trastuzumab as uh, standard of care in HER2 amplified uh, gastric cancer. I think it had a median OS uh, improvement. Here I have 13.8 months versus 11.1 months. Um, so more than a two and a half month improvement median OS, pretty solid. Uh, I will point out uh, a recurring theme here that about 40% of patients in Togo were white, 50% were Asian. Gastric cancer is more prevalent uh, in Asian countries, uh, possibly due, uh, theorized, to maybe eating more more smoked foods. I don't know if that's true there, uh, but if you look at any of the, um, the prevalence uh, or incidence curves of cancer in the United States, you'll see uh, going back a decade, gastric cancer was the most prevalent cancer. Uh, in America, uh, and then after the invigi- the invention of refrigeration, uh, more fruits and vegetables came in the homes, more fresh meat, less smoked meat, uh, and that uh, the incidence of gastric cancer has dropped precipitously then uh, with the advent of refrigeration. So maybe, you know, possibly something to do with diet, don't know, but you will see a high, uh, you know, enriching percent of patients, uh, Asian patients in these studies. And that's going to be important when we talk about destiny, gastric one because they it's 100% Asian patients, all done in Japan 
uh, in South Korea. So anyway, so Toga, that establishes HER2 uh, targeting as uh, improves OS and HER2 amplified gastric cancer. Uh, adeno uh, of the stomach, which happens in 15 to 20% of gastric cancers, okay? Now, if you try to compare this to breast cancer, we know there's trastuzumab, there's trastuzumab plus pertuzumab, there's trastuzumab from tanzine, TDM1. Uh, we know that uh, a lot of big, huge role for HER2 targeting therapy over and over again in HER2 amplified breast cancer. We don't have that in gastric cancer. It's just the trastuzumab containing regimen up front. And it's not that this hasn't been studied, it has been studied. So here's a quick history of the failures of HER2 targeting therapy. Um, uh, there was uh, Jacob, was the name of this study. This was pertuzumab plus trastuzumab versus trastuzumab plus chemo, standard cisplatin 5-FU. This is in the upfront setting. Median OS 17.5 versus 14.2. Sounds good. Uh, the cat microbes are pretty close here, and the hazard ratio is 0.84, which is not that great. Confidence interval is 0.71 to 1. It, it does touch 1, which makes it that statistically insignificant. And really, when you look at the cat microbes, they're pretty close, you know, and, you know, they had an 80% power. So there's a 1 in 5 chance uh, that they missed an overall survival benefit with uh, dual HER2 blockade. But if there is, it's going to be tiny just looking at those cat microbes. 47% of patients in that study uh, in Jacob were Asian. This is the most, uh, the best worldwide representation of patients. 47% Asian, but also... Uh, they had a significant number of patients from North America, Australia, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, and South America. So, so really nice worldwide distribution. Uh, then there was Titan, which was lapatinib plus paclitaxel versus paclitaxel alone uh, in patients who had failed trastuzumab. This was an entirely Asian population, no OS benefit, cat microbes perfectly interact or um, overlap. Uh, and then there's TRIO 13 slash LOGIC, which was lapatinib plus KPOX versus KPOX alone. No overall survival benefit here uh, in patients who had failed trastuzumab. 40% uh, Asian patients. Uh, and in a pre-planned subgroup analysis, there appeared to be benefit in the Asian subgroup population. Hazard ratio 0.68. Uh, nice confidence interval that was very wide, 0.48 to 0.96. Uh, there was also in a subgroup analysis uh, benefit primarily in those less than 60. So maybe uh, this this lower age was more of a confounder, and maybe that influenced what appeared to be greater benefit in an Asian population of lapatinib plus KPOX, second line setting. And then the last kind of historical thing to talk about here is Gatsby. And with a name like Gatsby, you know that things are not going to end well for our uh, protagonist here, all right? Uh, and that is, uh, that is trastuzumab imtanzine, or TDM1. This was 45% Asian uh, patient population prior trastuzumab and progression. So this was TDM1, or trastuzumab imtanzine, uh, versus taxane. And the median OS numerically actually favored taxane here, 8.6 with taxane. could be paclitaxel or docetaxel versus 7.9 for TDM1. So we have a history of disappointing results in in second-line HER2-targeting treatment uh, after failure with trastuzumab. So then that begs the question, if, if trastuzumab plus pertuzumab was not better than trastuzumab, if TDM1 failed, if lapatinib failed, and maybe lapatinib's not a great drug, uh, why did trastuzumab deruxtecan uh, you know, improve overall survival? And, and I meant to say this up front, again, trastuzumab deruxtecan, the trastuzumab uh, is trastuzumab, Binds to HER2. The Deruxtecan is a topoisomerase 1 inhibitor. It's not Irontecan, and there are about eight of those Deruxtecans on a trastuzumab uh, antibody. 
So when you know when you look at this study, it's a small study. There are 125 patients on the TDX arm, as they call it, and 62 on physician's choice. This is smaller than some of these other studies I just went over that have patient populations um, uh, 500 uh, to more than 700. Um, you know, the trastuzumab, pertuzumab first-line study had 780 patients. So pretty large study. This is this is less than 200 total. Randomized two to one to TDX or physician's choice. Uh, now, physician's choice uh, is either ironotecan or taxane. Okay, and if you look at what these patients had before by protocol, they had to have all had trastuzumab, 100% did, and then another regimen. They had to fail two regimens. Uh, they were all on a platinum at some point. Uh, 84% had received a taxane, 75% ramucirumab. Uh, I should have mentioned before that the pivotal rainbow study showed that ramucirumab plus paclitaxel improved overall survival by, I think, a median of two months compared to just taxane alone. Uh, and there were less than 10% of patients in that study who had HER2 amplified disease, but we still consider that a valid option uh, in these patients. Um, almost 85 to 90% of these patients had prior taxane, and they could be randomized to physician's choice where they could get taxane again. Now, that's only 62 patients, and only seven of them did their physicians put them back on a taxane. The rest got ironotecan. Okay, so uh, you have these patients, smaller study. It is all done in Japan and South Korea. It's an ent entirely Asian population. And this potentially uh, is not necessarily problematic for those patients, but it is problematic when you try perhaps to extrapolate the results to a non-Asian population. And there's precedent for this. There is a, uh, a landmark a small cell lung cancer study uh, done, I believe, in Japan. I've mentioned this before on the pod of cisplatin etoposide versus cisplatin ironotecan in small cell lung cancer. In uh, the Japanese study, there was an improvement in overall survival in the cis-ironotecan arm over cis-etoposide, which is not our standard of care here in the States. It's cis-etoposide. That study was repeated in the United States, and it did not show an improvement with cis-ironotecan. And one of the theories was there are polymorphisms uh, and genetic variations in metabolism uh, and polymorphisms in UGT1A1, which metabolizes uh, ironotecan's active metabolite SN38. The, the can here... Uh, and trastuzumab of direct can is metabolized primarily by 3A4, so perhaps similar differences are not something we would worry about in this study. So maybe it's an issue, maybe it's not. It's certainly a smaller study, and that leads to obviously greater variability here uh, and a greater chance that this overall survival benefit is just chance. Um, uh, and then finally, you know, seven of the 62 patients in the control arm got a taxane again. They basically got a drug they already failed. Uh, presumably, you know, maybe they had docetaxel before, now they're getting paclitaxel, but, you know, it's still same class, same mechanism of action, probably uh, not going to do so great. And uh, if you have an inferior control arm, it will make uh, the drug you're studying look uh, a whole lot better. All right, so certainly some issues with both internal validity and external validity uh, with uh, Destiny Gastric 01. Um, I think the biggest problem I have with this is the approval itself. The approval is in a patient population that doesn't match what was studied. The approval is for patients uh, with HER2 amplified, HER2 positive gastric, GEJ, ADNO, after one trastuzumab regimen. And that's not the patient population. This patient population, they all had trastuzumab. Uh, 75 to 90% had taxane and ramucirumab. 
Um, so this is really studied primarily in a third-line setting in Asian patients. And now, we're, you know, here in the United States, it's open to anybody after just filling trastuzumab. Uh, if I had if I had to guess, perhaps uh, they're saying this is a pretty large magnitude of benefit. You know, this cat curves continue to overlap, or sorry, continue. No, they don't overlap. They continue to widen over time. So perhaps even if it's not as effective uh, in uh, in this patient population uh, that we would give it to here in the states, there's still some benefit. It's hard to say, especially if you have an inferior control arm. And again, it's a low number. If you take these seven patients out who got taxing, what do these numbers look like? Uh, we don't know. So anyway, that's trastuzumab deruxtecan uh, for gastric cancer. Um, it did something that pertuzumab couldn't do and TDM1 couldn't do and lapatinib couldn't do, which was show an overall survival benefit. Uh, but again, we point out uh, some of the limitations for this. But this will be coming to a PNT committee near you uh, for, uh, for treatment uh, for gastric cancer. All right, also on the same day, January 15th, uh, the FDA approved the first drug ever for uh, light chain amyloidosis, AL amyloidosis, and that's uh, daratumab hyaluronidase, uh, or, or Darzalex Fastpro. Uh, this was, uh, and there are a couple phase two studies of uh, IV daratumab for amyloidosis uh, in the relapsed refractory setting. This is in the upfront setting, all right? Uh, and so this was FDA approved uh, an accelerated approval based on a surrogate endpoint of complete hematologic response. So an, an improvement uh, like in counts and light chains and things like that, right? So this was uh, uh, sub-Q plus Cybor-D versus Cybor-D alone. And Cybor-D is the preferred treatment for AL amyloidosis. The complete hematologic response rate was 42% versus 13.5%. So uh, you don't need a p-value to know that that's statistically significant. That's a huge increase. Uh, a little bit about light chain amyloidosis. It's uh, the same types of cells as multiple myeloma. These are multiple myeloma cells, but typically in amyloidosis, there are fewer of those uh, deranged plasma cells, but the protein they make is a lot worse and has a higher affinity for organs uh, like the heart, the kidneys, liver, spleen. So it is a poorer prognosis uh, because of end organ damage. Uh, and uh, the counts went better for this, but you'd really like to see an improvement, you know, decrease in it, and organ damage. And I think it's kind of odd for a phase three study, this is Andromeda, that the endpoint was complete hematologic response rate. Now, I don't know, I don't live and breathe in the, uh, the amyloidosis literature, so perhaps that's something that's been used before. Um, there was in the PI, uh, and this has not been published, there's a blood publication in, in uh, June or July of 2020 that's uh, like the, the phase two lead-in safety study of 28 patients. Um, there is a major organ deterioration PFS um, that they looked at uh, that favored uh, the trest or the the daratumab arm 0.58 very wide confidence interval still significant uh, but this is looking at major organ deterioration organs include uh, the heart the kidney uh, death or hematologic progression and if you have a huge complete hematologic response favoring daratumab perhaps much of that benefit you're seeing is hematologic and not end organ damage sparing. Uh, don't know. I think you need to see the publication for this. But the big concern here is the FDA actually added a warning precaution to Darzalex FastPro's PI uh, for serious and fatal cardiac events. There were 16 serious cardiac events in a study, 10% of them fatal. There are about 200 patients in, in both arms, so 20 patients roughly. I think it's probably 19 if you do the math. 19 patients died in the daratumab arm. Uh, they were more likely to die if they had a higher Mayo cardiac staging 
or mayor, higher Mayo cardiac stage, like a stage three, uh, which is looking at some labs like troponin and BNP and then the free light chain uh, differential. That's where that staging system comes from. So this could be like 8% cardiac failure, 4% cardiac arrest, 4% arrhythmia. Uh, we don't know what all those numbers are in the sideboard D-arm except for arrhythmias. And, and the, the incidence of arrhythmias was double with the daratumab arm versus sideboard D alone. So uh, certainly some concerning things, especially those folks who appear to have greater you know, cardiac uh, deficit from their disease when uh, they come uh, when they come onto this. So certainly more information needs to be seen uh, and something that uh, if you're like me and you don't see a lot of amyloidosis, it's not that common. Uh, that's something that I uh, forget about this uh, whenever this encounters, we encounter this again. But what, what I will do is I'll go back and look at that Mayo Clinic staging system, stage the patients. If they're stage C by the Mayo Clinic, then uh, there's a warning about using this because uh, the risk of those cardiac events was, I have this here, was 19% if you had Mayo cardiac stage 3, 5% uh, was stage 1, 2. So the risk went up significantly for those folks uh, that had uh, that were sicker. Uh, and that's something that needs to be uh, factored into the risk-benefit analysis when using this for those folks with amyloidosis. Uh, but I would hope, uh, I would suspect we would see more firm patient-oriented uh, endpoints, like actually overall survival, since this was a phase 3 study with almost 400 patients in a disease that doesn't do so well. We should see overall survival benefit if it is there uh, in, in, I would say, in, in short order. But uh, I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. Well, that was, uh, those were two FDA approvals of drugs that were already approved. Uh, quite a bit to talk about, as usual, in the oncology pharmacy milieu. Uh, thank you for listening, downloading, uh, subscribing, uh, liking, rating, all that good stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at PharmDeetNib. And you can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at AncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.